uh, contact cards. We hope that you guys have filled them out, and if you have not, please do so. Um, we'd love to get a hold of you and uh, help you guys become more involved here at Revolution um, so you can serve and grow and uh, worship to the best of your abilities. Um, have a lot of announcements this week. Um, a lot of stuff going on. We've got a cookout this weekend and um, free market this weekend. Um, we're kind of hesitant to tell you guys, but we have every night this week that all the small groups that are going on uh, tonight after the service, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, we're going to be, instead of meeting where, you're, where you normally go, where you are going to meet here um, at those designated times, and we're going to help sort. We have a bunch of clothes, so if you guys still have not have stuff that you wanted to donate, hurry and get them in because we're sorting all week. Um, and then Friday, we are going to get everything set up at PFNAS, and um, hopefully free market will go down Saturday morning. Um, so that being said, tonight uh, we are going to set up the tables after the service. Those of you who um, regularly come to Stephen's small group, and those of you who uh, don't, if you'd like to help out, we'd love for you to start helping out and start getting se- uh, set up to sort. Um, so just see Stephen after the service. Um, Ryan will make another announcement. But throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, we have, you know, if you guys meet with Ryan on Wednesdays or Dustin on Tuesdays, um, college Bible study on Mondays, my guys' small group on Thursdays, um, meet here instead. If you guys want to meet somewhere and then all carpool here, that'd be great. Um, but instead of doing those small groups, we really want to stress that uh, we want to um, get everything set up for free market. Um, Allie and AJ will need a few volunteers instead of helping out free market on Saturday uh, or Friday night to um, do uh, the cookout. And that's going to be around 6 o'clock, 5.30 or 6, if you can meet at the Rev House or get a hold, see them after, raise your hand, guys. Um, they are right over here, the beautiful um, young married couple. Um, uh, just see them after the service, because um, during would be rude to David. Um, but see them, and they will get you plugged in, hopefully, um, so we can have some a majority of people come in here with Free Market, and some people still helping out with that, get the word out with the cookout. Um, but both opportunities are great opportunities to serve, and we'll keep you plugged in with more cookout and trash pickup opportunities. Um, but we'd really love for you guys to um, take part here. Uh, Autumn wanted me to announce one quick thing about the nursery. For those college students that are involved with the nursery, listen up. Um, for those of you who may or may not be here during the summer to help out, uh, just see her after the service. She really wants to see who's going to be here, what people are going to be here with the nursery, what people aren't. Um, so we can get uh, go ahead and get schedules planned um, and do all that stuff. I think, oh yes, Saturday when free market is going down. Um, please get there early. It starts at 8, but we'd love you to be there at 7.30 or even 7 to start stuff. Uh, it's going to take a while to get stuff set up and make sure people are ready to come. Um, there's hopefully going to be a lot of people in the community uh, available to get free free stuff. Um, so So just, you know. Bring your uh, happy face and uh, coffee. We'll have coffee and stuff, um, hopefully. So just keep those in mind uh, throughout the week as um, they get ready to come. That's about all I have. If you guys would love to uh, just get up and greet somebody you don't know, um, this side's kind of empty, so, you know, you people disperse. Um, Stop being clicky and greet. What's up, Revolution? That sucked. Do it again. What's up, Revolution? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> we have farm animals up in here. And the hat comes off for that one. Um, so I closed on my house on Friday. 
Yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah, I expected more people to be excited for me, but apparently I know who my real friends are, which is my fiance that actually cared. Uh, it's pretty awesome, right? I'm starting to feel a little bit more like an adult, but I'm starting to realize something, and that is like, I'm not really an adult because like I still like I, I still think like toilet humor jokes are like hilarious, and I hope that I always do. I, I don't think anyone really ever grows up. Um, because they mean to, I think what happens is that like you just get older and acquire more debt and therefore more responsibility. And then like the world just beats you down until you lose your sense of humor. And then you're old. Um, Scott Rowling knows what I'm talking about. Um, but, but yeah, so this week I closed on my house and it was super cool. Um, but I started thinking about like my future with autumn. I started thinking about my future in general, right? Like, um, my plans for my future. Um, I started thinking about, you know, what I want our house to look like, um, like whenever, if we ever decide to like do some stuff, some minor things to it. Uh, I started thinking about, you know, me and Autumn's future jobs. Um, you know, hopefully we can like start, a, or start our careers. Um, I started thinking about what I want our marriage to look like. Um, I started thinking about, you know, what kind of car that I would like to buy Autumn whenever our budget can afford it, which might never be exist. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, we started, to, I started thinking about, you know, how do I want my kids? Like, do I want kids? Like that kind of a thing. Um, this really started planning for my future. And I'll tell you this, like whenever, like in my mind for my future, I'm like Jay-Z living, right? Like me and Autumn are going to be like the power couple at Revolution, like Jay-Z and Beyonce. Real talk. Are they still, are they still together? Okay, good. We're going to be like Jay-Z and Beyonce. Um, <laughs> And in order to get there, I'm, I'm aiming to be a televangelist, so start tithing more often. Um, right? but, but I was thinking about all these goals that I have. Right? And all of these goals that I have, they're really, really close at hand. Right? Like I'm getting married in uh, July. Um, Autumn and I could be starting our careers really soon. Um, you know, the car, the house, um, with kids. I don't really want to talk about it. I don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, um, but I started thinking about how, how close these things are. And then anyone else ever like, do you get dark really fast? Like anyone else, like you always go to like that dark place. Like I think about death all the time. I got one guy, I think about death all the time. And it started hitting me like all these goals are like probably within like the next five years, all these things that I'm planning for. And then it hit me like, I'm gonna die soon, man. Like 60 years, probably max, right? That would make me 83 years old. That's a pretty long life for me. Like I've never heard of an 83 year old dying and I'm like, oh, they were taken too soon, right? Like I'm always like, no, like that's a pretty good spot to go. Um, but with my lifestyle, like, I'm probably not going to make it another 20 years. And I'm referencing, like, my, like, I'm trying to get sponsored by Skull and Diet Mountain Dew right now. So, like, who knows how much longer I really got here on earth. And some of you don't think that joke's funny, and that's okay. Um, but in light of this text that we're going to look at this evening, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 12. And I started asking myself this question. Um, how short-sighted are my goals, really? Um, you know, how do I live? Am I living um, in light of what scripture tells me matters? Am I living in light of eternity? Or am I just living in light of this world is all really that there is to it? Um, and I ask that question because I think this, I think that Christians are called to think, um, to be like eternity minded. Um, we're, we're called to think about what really matters, right? We're supposed to be kingdom-minded, our lives being a sacrifice uh, for God, for the spread of his gospel, and, and, like, and, and doing good deeds in his name, bringing the kingdom here. And we should be of that mind because we know more than anyone, it'll all be over soon, right? Either we'll die in 60 years, a lot of us are in our 20s, you know, we'll die in 50, 60 years. Some of us might die sooner than that. 
Um, you know, hopefully Jesus will come back before I'm done preaching. That would be pretty rad, right? And this whole world just over with. Um, but we don't think about that kind of stuff. Uh, we don't think about, you know, dying. We don't think about how finite and short that this life is. And I think that's because our own mortality scares us to death. Um, and because we don't want to ask those questions or think about those things, we, we act like this life is all that we've got. We become like terminally short-sighted, right? Even if as Christians we recognize on paper um, what our li- or that our lives um, are finite and one day we're going to give an account uh, before God for how we've lived our lives. But here's the question I want us to kind of ponder on this evening. Uh, one of the questions, how much, more, uh, how much differently uh, would our lives look if we actually lived with eternity in our minds? Right? Um, like how much more love would we have for other people? How much more patience and how much more would we live in obedience to Jesus and, and share the good news about Jesus that he died in our place for our sin and came back from the dead three days later and that, and that faith in him is what saves. How much more would we share that? How, how much more kind would we be and, and open-handed and open-hearted with the resources that God gave us if we actually lived like this world doesn't really matter and that eternity is all that matters? Um, you know, how much differently would we live if we actually showed the world that Christ is all that matters to us. What would change? I would bet a ton. And if you're saying it's, uh, it's, that your life wouldn't change a ton, you can take the mic because you should probably be the pastor of this church and not me. Um, but our lives would change a lot. Uh, but because that we live in fear, it, that's why I think that, because we live in fear. Um, and you might disagree with me, right? Like we're Americans, we're not afraid of anything, right? America, like with the apostrophe, capital M, anyone? Whatever, whatever. <laughs> All right, now you might not think that you live in fear, right? But here's what I want to throw to you guys. You say, I don't live in fear. I'm not afraid of anything, whatever. You know, the whole like American mentality of, of never back down, which is an awful movie. Uh, stuff like that. Um, I'm not scared of anything. Let me ask you this. How are you doing with telling people about Jesus? How open are you in your daily lives about proclaiming the good news about Jesus? And it gets a little bit real, doesn't it? Um, how much do you not just take opportunities, but seek out opportunities to tell people about Jesus? How often are you actually looking for that stuff? I'm going to guess if you're like most Christians, probably not very often. You're probably not looking for those opportunities. You're probably not taking those opportunities. And here's my question. Why don't we leap at every opportunity? Why aren't we leaping to seek opportunities to tell people about Jesus? I argue fear. Fear. What would we be afraid of? Fear of being offensive, right? Like, can you, can you say anything on television anymore, like, without, like, someone getting offended or some, like, activist group piping up and, like, you're going to get sued and all kinds of other stuff? And I know I'm only 23, but I sound like I'm 80. Um, but what are we afraid of? We're afraid of, of public scorn. We're afraid of being offensive because telling people there's no salvation outside of Jesus Christ is super offensive. Um, you know, are, are we afraid of losing friends? Um, that, not that we would stop hanging out with them, but that they might see that, like, hey, we don't find those same things entertaining anymore. We don't live this way anymore. Um, not that we're jerks to them or self-righteous about it, but they say, you know, uh, Dowdy's a drag, which, which happened to me. I lost a lot of friends whenever I became a Christian because I didn't, I didn't find the same kind of things entertaining anymore. I found Jesus more beautiful than a lot of that junk. Um, I think we're afraid of uh, being irrelevant, right? Do you really hold to a 2,000-year-old morality? It's 2015, man. You're on the wrong side of history, right? Things like that. We're afraid of being lumped into that category. I think we're essentially afraid of losing face in society. 
I think that's what we're afraid of. So I think that we're short-sighted and that we don't want to come to grips with eternity is all that matters. And then we're fearful of what society might say about us. Um, I think those are two of our biggest enemies as Christians is fear and short-sightedness. Either that or we're liars. Either that or we're liars. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, for a fair bit this evening is, is hypocrites, right? We're actors. That's, that's what the word hypocrite means. It means a play actor. Uh, e- either we're afraid or we're, um, either we're afraid or we're short-sighted or we're being hypocritical. Where we're parading around as believers, but as soon as it hits the fan, right, and we become socially ostracized or we become belittled or people get uncomfortable with the fact that we follow Jesus and that we're really into this guy and really into following his commands, we bail, Right, that kind of hypocrisy, and that's not faith. That's not loving Jesus. What that is is garbage that calls itself faith, but in reality will get you nowhere but hell. We're going to see that Jesus says that doesn't hold up. So tonight, we're going to look at Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Uh, if there are blue Bibles out there, it's going to be up here on the projector. Take those Bibles home with you. That's our gift to you if you don't have a Bible. Um, and we're going to see Jesus talk about our lives, and we're going to see Jesus talk about fear, and we're going to see Jesus talk about hypocrisy. And what we're going to see is Jesus gives really stern warnings to people with false faith, which is no faith at all. People who are willing to bail and bow down to to the opinions of men. Um, But he gives absolute grace and comfort to the actual believer. And that's why, in my opinion, Jesus rules so hard. Right? He comes with like a beat stick and a pillow. Right? You take your pick on this one. Um, So let's check it out. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. So believers, don't be worried here. I don't freak out on me here. Uh, anyone else grow up with that preacher that would like use this text to try to scare the hell out of you when you're growing up? Some of you get my pun, and some of you are going to be offended for the rest of the service, and that's okay. Um, right? But they try to scare you with this text. I want Christians to remember as we're going through this, um, there's a lot of comfort here for us if you're actually a believer. But these warnings are for people who are being hypocritical. But I want us to take the warnings too and digest them and really examine ourselves. Um, but what is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees? What is Jesus talking about? We, we talked about last week Pharisees being uh, having God on their lips but not, on, uh, not in their lives. Not their heart is not on God. It's turned far away from him. But they, they pretend to be religious. They, for whatever reason, pretend like they love God. Uh, and obey him externally, but their heart is far away from him, right? He said that kind of hypocrisy, um, where everything might look good on the outside, uh, but there's no heart change, or, you know, whatever, just that kind of a not true faith. Um, what this is really looking like is a confession of faith that the Pharisees would have made versus a dedication to faith that Jesus is calling his followers into. Not just merely saying that I'm a Christian, right, but actually following Jesus with their lives, right? And what he's talking about, this, this kind of hypocrisy, the Pharisees, they would bow down to the world and its values whenever it was convenient for them, right? Or, or whenever it was going to cost them um, to do otherwise or when they could gain something. And just a quick reference for that. Um, you see God in the Old Testament say, I am the king of the universe. I am the king of Israel. I am the king of my people. And yet whenever they wanted Jesus killed, they said, we have no king but Caesar. 
is what they say to Pontius Pilate in the New Testament, right? So they're willing to throw it down to get something that they want. They're willing to run from what the Bible teaches and and just give up their faith uh, in those moments to get what they want. Jesus says, beware that kind of hypocrisy. Jesus doesn't want this kind of false faith from his followers, right? This kind of, I'm going to call it nominal faith, right? Faith in name, where you say you're a Christian, but that doesn't actually save, right? I think that our culture has really fallen into this lie, um, right? That just because you say you're a Christian, you're a Christian, right? Or because you go to church on Sunday that you're a Christian, um, which is convenient because if you can go to church and be a Christian, I was in my garage for four hours today, and I'm now a AMX, a Chevy AMX, which are the coolest cars in the world. My dad has one. I'm super jealous. Um, but, okay, if you go to church, you're a Christian. If you sit in your garage, you're a car. That kind of a bull kind of a thing. Um, I think that our culture has fallen into this lie that you can just say you're a Christian and live your life however you want and just add a little bit of Jesus into your life on your lips or by doing a couple little service things once in a while and, and that's it. That's good enough. That makes you a Christian. That's, what not, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying you're all in or you're all out. Don't be a fake. Don't be a hypocrite. But then why should we beware this hypocrisy? Um, because Jesus says nothing will be hidden from God ever. He says, whatever you've done in private is going to be brought to light. Whatever you've whispered behind closed doors is going to be shouted from the rooftops, right? So what Jesus is saying is whenever we stand before God, our hearts are going to betray us, right? Our actions, our words, our motives, everything is going to testify whether or not our faith was genuine. This kind of an unveiling of our hearts. I I want you to track with me on this. This is huge comfort to true believers, because our hearts have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We've been changed. We now seek obedience. We love Jesus. We might fail, but our hearts are, are genuinely motivated on the gospel that we want to love God because he's loved us. But this is an utter terror for someone who's a hypocrite. Right? Their, their motives, everything's going to be brought to light, and they're going to be proven that they don't actually love Jesus. They've never actually believed the gospel. Right? So, so note this. What Jesus is saying is with this kind of hypocrisy, he's saying, Live in light of the coming day of judgment, right? He's saying, don't be a fake. Live in light of eternity. Be far-sighted. Love God and obey him from your heart, right? Like I said earlier, Christians are called to be eternity-minded. But in this call to be eternity-minded, Jesus is also calling us um, to be resolved in our hearts, to follow him no matter what it's going to cost us, right? Jesus knows something. He's God. He knows all things, uh, but he knows something about us. He knows that he knows how appealing that hypocrisy and mere profession, right, or nominal faith. He knows how appealing that that's going to be at times, right? Like he knows that you know after he dies, comes back from the dead, and ascends to heaven, that his disciples are going to immediately come on, um, you know, uh, uh, death threats, and some of them are going to actually be murdered. Right? That they're going to face death, they're going to face beatings, they're going to face loss of jobs, they're going to face social ostracism, family abandonment. Right? And we still see some people dealing with that um, today, especially in the Middle East right now. I don't know how many of you guys saw it. I saw a post from CNN today that there was two groups of Christians murdered by ISIS again, or ISIL, whatever they're called now. Um, this is really real, what Jesus is, is talking about here. He's saying no matter what it costs you, Stay faithful, don't be a hypocrite, even if it's your life on the line. But let's be real here for a minute. Um, We're in the United States. We'll probably never face death, right? Like, we're probably never going to face being killed for our faith. Um, We probably, like, won't face a beating either for our faith, um, unless you're, like, one of those, like, sign-carrying dudes and, like, says, like, God hates everyone. And then you probably deserve getting smacked around a little bit. Um, 
I mean, you're probably not going to face any kind of physical violence. Um, but what you might face is a loss of job sometime where someone tells you to do something kind of shady and underhanded at work. And you say, you know, I love Jesus. And he tells me to be honest. And that's worth more to me than this job. Um, you know, you might face social ostracism where everyone says, like, everyone, like, looks down on you and you're scorned publicly for your faith because you're offensive, because you're so closed-minded, right? Or you're so, you're adhering to this ancient morality. Um, I've dealt with a, a small bit of that. Um, I know some people in this church that have dealt with family abandonment, that they're the only Christian in their household, and they have some siblings that won't speak to them. They have parents that are hostile to them about their faith, right, where their family doesn't want a whole lot to do with them now that they're a Christian. Right? Jesus is saying, you're going to face things like that, and I want you to stay faithful to me. And, and I, would, I would say this about our culture. We will probably especially face social hatred from people for our faith in Jesus. And I'll say this too, and I might sound like a jerk here. Um, as many times as Jesus warns us about, you're going to be hated for my name. You're going to suffer for my name. You're going to be hated. You're blessed when you're hated on my account. As much as Jesus says this, and this was a real gut check for me. If, if it's cost you nothing so far as being a Christian, push harder. Push harder. Jesus says that it's, it's, it's going to suck sometimes and people are going to hate you. So if, if, you've never, if you've faced nothing, maybe you're not putting it out there that you're a Christian enough. Maybe you're not trying to tell people the gospel. Maybe you're not trying to serve enough, whatever the case may be. Our lives should make no sense to the world. And Jesus said the world will be hostile against us. So it's a self-examination thing. Um, but Jesus says this, in those times when the chips are down and your faith is tested, remember that there is eternity later and false hypocrisy and bowing down to what the world tells you to bow down to will not cut it. That's what he says to us. Right? So, so knowing that what we can face and not wanting us to live in fear of what might come, Jesus tells us something. He tells us whom to fear, right? And this is going to bring us a lot of comfort if we're in Christ. He says this in verses 4 and 5. Dear friends, remember that word friend, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. Right? So Jesus is telling us not to fear anyone or anything except for God himself. And he uses the word friend. He said, friends, I'm telling you this. This was super cool because I'm a history nerd. And this would have carried, for the people who were hearing this, of like a political kind of connotation. Um, like a friend of Caesar, right? If you're a friend of someone, you're under their protection. If you mess with that person, you have to answer to the person whose protection they're under. And Jesus says, you're my friend, right? And whoever's a friend of the son is a friend of the father. That's the kind of connection they got, right? So he's saying God is the one with the true authority. He is the one with the power over eternal life, life now, death now, and death later. And if that God is our friend, why would we ever fear anyone and what they can do? or what they might say, or what they might think about us. Think about that. We're under the protection of Jesus. We're untouchable, right? Quite literally untouchable in the grand scheme of things. So why would we be afraid? You know, so in light of that, Jesus says we should stand in awe of God, fear of God. It doesn't mean like a phobia, like, oh, I'm terrified. Um, but we should stand in awe of God um, because he's the sovereign Lord over life and everything else. Um, we, we shouldn't live in fear of what it may cost to serve him. And Jesus does say, and i got to say it multiple times this evening, prepare for the cost. It will cost you something to follow Jesus. He absolutely says here that it might cost you your life. But in other places where Jesus says really similar things, he says, your body might die, but not a hair on your head will perish in hell. 
That's the comfort that we have here. He doesn't promise you anything here and now, but he tells you to be eternity-minded because that's where the payoff comes, right? So again, I want to say this. If it's not costing you anything, examine yourself, right? What are you denying yourself? Because Jesus says, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, right? What are you denying yourself? What is it costing you to be a Christian? What have you given up that, that, that wasn't good and godly? Have you given anything up, right? Uh, what are you giving yourself over to? Are you pouring into anyone's life? Are you telling people the gospel, right? Are you discipling anybody? Are you, are you pouring yourself out in any way to the glory of God and for the sake of his kingdom? Are you doing anything whatsoever? Are you the same as you were before you converted and you're just comfortable? Which one is it, right? And again, I, I got beat down with this all week so that I can say this to you guys now. You know, but Jesus says to stand in awe of God, right? This kind of God who has all this power. But what kind of a God deserves such awe? He says the, the true God who has authority to judge the hypocrite, right? This is a warning. And, 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 and judge the hypocrite and the non-believer righteously, right? For their sin and cast them into hell, right? So we're going to talk about hell for a minute, right? This isn't South Park hell where the devil is a homosexual and a weird relationship with Saddam Hussein, Right? Uh, it's not that kind. Apparently, you guys don't watch South Park too much. And uh, I commend you for that. Uh, you know, good, good job. Uh, although, who knows what the devil's got going on with Saddam Hussein. I'm, I'm sure they're hanging out together. Um, whatever. People don't, whatever. I'm stupid. I say some, dumb stuff sometimes. Um, but this isn't that kind of a hell, right? Uh, this is a biblical hell Jesus is talking about here. Right? This is a, a place of, of eternal punishment, right? And separation from God and all goodness because all good comes from God, right? This is a place, a literal place where people go if they don't have faith in Jesus or their faith, pro- faith proved to be false and they were actually hypocritical and, and, and talked themselves into thinking that they were actually a Christian with no heart change, no life change, right? This is a place where those people go where the wrath of God is fully expressed and fully exacted on those who did not respond with true faith to the gospel. We, we can't glaze over this. Like I really wanted to glaze over talking about hell like this. Um, but this is one of those things that's going to make people ridicule us because we believe it. Um, you know, they're going to think Christianity is insane, right? How could someone make someone, uh, how could God make someone suffer infinitely for punishment that they did here and now? Um, and if you have that question, come talk to me after service. Trust me, it's just, though. It's good. You're worse than you think you are. Um, but we have to make this stand. We have to make this stand on these doctrines, right? We can't shy away from them and fear the opinions of, of men, right? Jesus very much believed in hell because he created it, uh, and he taught about hell fairly often, right? This is reality. This is our God. Right, this is righteous judgment. This is where people go without having true faith because sin must be paid for. Sin must be punished or God is not good. The fact that God is good makes him have to be a righteous and good judge. And only the sinless obedience of Christ given to us upon faith in him is going to save us from this kind of a place. That's it. All right, but, but hell is a place for hypocrites, among other people. Um, not people who fail in their obedience. So don't, don't get me wrong here. Everyone's a hypocrite to some degree, right? Uh, but these are for, for genuine hypocrites, false believers, nominal Christians, non-believers. And they stand guilty for their sin because their hearts have not been changed by the gospel. I cannot reiterate that enough. I've been praying that our hearts be changed here at Revolution. That's what I'm aiming for, you know? But here's the, the converse to this. For those of us who have actually come to faith, there's no more terror of hell. This is why I want to talk about hell for a minute. 
Remember, there's comfort for the believer in this and mourning to the non-believer. There's no more terror of hell. Think about that for a second. I'll never be separated from God ever, and neither will you if you actually have faith in Jesus. Hell is no place for us. Not at all. Jesus has taken the penalty for our sin from us on the cross, right? So in light of that kind of grace that Jesus gives us, right, he tells us the comfort and the hope that he has in our Father too. All right, so check this out. Luke 12, 6 and 7. What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Why are we talking about birds now, all right? Jesus kind of switches gears here on us for a second. Sparrows are essentially worthless, right? Like their price is here. Um, what is he, five sparrows for two pennies, essentially. And yet he says God doesn't forget any of them. Right? So I know what you're thinking. Like, great, I'm worth than five freaking birds. Like I'm worth more than that. Good saying, Jesus, right? Way to make me feel better. Um, what Jesus is doing here is a lesser to greater argument. He's saying if God cares for sparrows, God cares for all of his creation, but if he cares for this especially worthless creation, and he, he cares for it intimately, and he knows it, how much more does he love you, right? It's lesser to greater. Um, think about this. If God has purchased us back from his own wrath and rescued us from his wrath in hell by giving his only son, Jesus, for us, how much more are we worth to him than a bird? He's told us what he thought about us and how much he loves us. All right, so, so know this believer. And this, the guys at the ref house kind of laughed at me about this uh, a couple of nights ago. I come downstairs from studying, and I was like, guys, this is an awesome thought. God loves us, right? And I, like, tried to expound on it and, like, get them to understand what I meant. And they were just like, yeah, dude. And, like, it just, it rocked me this week. God actually loves us. The king that we have sinned against and, 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 and just blasphemed his name and hated him, essentially, in our, in our rebellion, he actually cares for us so much that he would send Jesus to die for us. Right, think about this. God knows you. How terrifying is that? It's like, I don't know about you guys. If we put my thoughts up here for like this last week, I'd never come back to this church ever again. Right? Um, maybe I'm the only sinner in the room, whatever. Um, but God knows you intimately. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. That's mind-blowing. And he still chooses to save you. Um, that kind of love is unparalleled. And the reason why I wanted to, to hit that kind of hard is this kind of love should drive out all hypocrisy. It should bind us to Jesus because we've been loved, now we love. It should drive out all fear that we have because if God cares this way for sparrows and he's cared this way for us, we know that we're his friend and that he's got our back. It should drive out all self-preserving mentalities because this love is worth our life. This love is worth everything. Right? This should push us to an ever-increasing depth of gratitude towards God because he loves us. Um, so here what I think Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to reinforce our commitment to him by love. Right? And at the same time, call people um, into genuine faith instead of hypocrisy with that love and also a reminder of God's burning hatred of sin. But then Jesus goes on to give us some, some promises Uh, Verses 8 and 9. I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Right? So, again, those who acknowledge Jesus publicly, Jesus will acknowledge before the angels, which means the heavenly court in front of God. So, again, be eternity-minded. Final judgment is in view. But what does Jesus mean here? 
This is, this, is, this is the fun part. What does Jesus actually mean? How do we acknowledge Jesus here and now in our lives? Is it, is it verbal? Is it just running your mouth saying you're a Christian, affirming doctrines, affirming things that, that I've said to you? Is it that or is it something more? Simply put, I, the, the conclusion I've come to is proclaiming Jesus, right? Acknowledging him is this. A radical commitment, both privately and publicly, to the commands, attitudes, and characteristics of Christ. I'm going to say that again. Radical commitment, both privately and publicly, to the commands, attitudes, and characteristics of Christ. This is true discipleship. That's what acknowledging Jesus is in our lives. And he says, nothing else will do but that truly acknowledging him. Not just running your mouth, but this looks like killing sin in your life. The hidden sin that you love that you don't want anyone else to know about. Putting that to death because you find Jesus more beautiful than this one thing that you're holding on to. Right? Living in obedience to Jesus' commands because you love him more than you want to be lazy or apathetic. Right, Showing the world around you what Jesus means to you because you want to honor his name. Remember a couple weeks ago, prayer? You know, Father, you make your name holy. Right? I'm showing a commitment to make your name holy. I want the world to see how much I revere you by how I live my life. That's acknowledging Christ. Sharing the gospel with people. Verbally telling them about Jesus. Discipling other people. Essentially walking in the path that Jesus walked. That is acknowledging Christ actually being a disciple. And Jesus says, if we do this and we stay faithful, then he will claim us as his own. Whenever we stand before God, that he will step in between God as our advocate, as our lawyer, and he'll plead his blood and his righteousness over us. That's the hope that we have. If we're actually disciples of Jesus and we've actually been transformed by the gospel, if we actually have a heart that loves him now. Um, but there's a converse to this promise, and I'm not talking about shoes. I'm full of puns this evening. I can't help it. Like, they're just coming out. Corey Porter in the back thinks I'm funny. I can recognize that laugh anywhere. Um, all right, but there's a converse to him proclaiming this kind of a promise to us. I do puns because Autumn hates them. So, like, she has to listen to me here. So, like, I throw them at her all the time. Um, But he says, if we deny Christ here in our lives, we will be treated as strangers in eternity and we will be cast to hell to suffer the penalty for our sin. And why? Because we proved that we did not know Christ and we did not submit to him and did not truly believe the gospel and therefore he does not know us. We proved it by the way that we lived, right? People get this twisted all the time. And I don't know if it's just rednecks that I deal with at the store or punk kids that I deal with on campus. And I'm counting all of us in here together for the punk kid thing. Um, Like, I I hear this a lot. I don't deny Jesus. I think he's God, right? I think that he lived and I think that he died and I think that he rose. I believe God exists and you won't catch me dead saying anything otherwise, right? Right? I hear this from people at the store, right? People say that they would never convert to Islam or any other religion, mostly because they're racist where I'm from, um, but, or that they would never be an atheist, right? None of that stuff ever. Jesus is God. I'll proclaim that. So because they're willing to say that, they think that they're in the clear. That's a bunch of BS. That's the kind of faith that Satan has. Satan knows that these things are true. And how's eternity looking for that guy? If you haven't read the book of Revelation, not too good. Um, People think they're in the clear because they think that that's acknowledging Christ. 
I believe in God. I, I assent to the fact that Jesus was who the Bible says he was. I even assent to the fact that the word of God is true and infallible. I, I assent to these doctrines. I think that that's faith. False. People reject Jesus and deny Jesus daily by their false faith or their no faith at all because their lives haven't changed. Their hearts haven't changed. That's why the outside doesn't look the same because the inside hasn't been beaten by the gospel yet. Right? You know the old saying, actions speak louder than words, right? Jesus says nothing but true discipleship is going to do here. So let's get kind of really real for a minute. Right? Where are you at with this, personally? Where are you at? Um, are you a hypocrite who fears every societal trend, every public opinion, um, academia, you know, whatever? Um, are, you, are you that guy who fears all that stuff and then their opinions? Um, are you willing to deny the, uh, the, the one true God? Are you willing to deny Christ for the sake of convenience when it might cost you something or it might cause you to be looked at differently or when it comes time to actually be obedient and you might stand out? Are you willing to deny Christ with your life? Um, you know, whenever it might make you seem strange or make others uncomfortable around you? Do, do you fear men and what they might do or what they might say? You know, are you given over to hidden sin uh, whenever it seems like it's too hard or that it's not worth it to persevere in following Jesus? You know, or are you a true disciple? Uh, do you stand firm in the faith because you stand in awe of the grace of God given to you through Christ and recognize him as the sovereign one, him as the one who's in charge, and him who calls you friend? You know, choose a side. Um, now. Right? Choose a side because there's no neutrality in this ever. Jesus says, you either proclaim me, you acknowledge me, or you deny me. There is no middle grounds. And know this on your life, that you don't just mix a little bit of Jesus with your life. You're either in or you're out. It's just how it is. It's what Jesus is saying here. Now, I, I know what you're thinking. Right? You're probably thinking what I thought whenever I was listening to Baptist-style preachers say this kind of stuff to me when I was a kid. All right? You're thinking, like, this is awful. Right? This is terrifying. I've denied Jesus Christ in my life. My life doesn't always line up with his commands. Even after coming to faith, my life doesn't line up like this. What now? What do I do? I've denied Jesus. Well, I would say, welcome to the club. Right? That'd be number one. Um, I want you to listen to me, and I want you to listen well. This is what I hope that I can tell you that I didn't hear growing up. Um, Jesus always allows huge room for grace in everything. I want you to know that. Jesus makes huge allowances for grace. And why? He knows that we suck. He made us. He knows that we're, that we're prone to denying him in our lives. He knows that we will all become short-sighted in our time here and focus on the world. Right? I think that's why he says what we're getting ready to read. Don't, don't be shocked. This next one coming up is going to be fun. Some of you might freak out a little bit. Um, keep this in mind. Keep in mind his call for us to live out our faith and to stand in awe of God and be eternally minded uh, and our tendency to fall short of these commands. Jesus says this, anyone who speaks against the son of man can be forgiven. Remember that. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. So let's tackle that. There's, a, there's three things here I want to tackle. Speaking against the Son of Man, it's another, another name Jesus talks to himself, not talks to himself, calls himself as the Son of Man, right? Speaking against the Son of Man is denying Jesus, 
Right? Jesus is saying that in these instances, not where it's our lifestyle, right? not that we're walking in darkness like John talks about, but these instances where we screw up or that you have these instances of apathy or instances of rebellion or whatever it is, he says that can be forgiven if we'll repent, if we'll resubmit ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ again and again and again. And that's what the Christian life looks like, is constantly submitting yourself again and again to Jesus because we have these instances where we deny him in our lives. He says, if you do that, you'll be forgiven. All right, whenever we fear men instead of submitting to the authority of Christ, we can be forgiven. When we cling to sin instead of giving it up for the glory of God, we can be forgiven. Everything can be forgiven. All of our cowardice, all of our rebellion, everything, past, present, and future, everything can be forgiven if we were to submit to Jesus. And he's promising us, I will extend grace to you. Like, I take so much comfort and hope in this. We all should. This is comfort for the disciple. I want us to cling to that. Jesus says, you speak against me, I can forgive that. I will forgive that, actually. I, I paid for your sin. I, I've, already, I've already forgiven it. Um, but there's a grave warning with this, right? If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that will not be forgiven, right, ever. Um, but it's not what you think, right? Because I tried to do it when I was an atheist, um, and you can't do it. Uh, and what I mean by that, well, you can do it, or Jesus wouldn't have said that you can. I don't even know what I'm trying to say with that. Um, Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not just saying some words against the Holy Spirit, right? Because I thought that that's what it meant back when I was an atheist, and I, I took my shot at it a few times because um, I was an idiot. Um, but what, what blaspheming the Spirit really is, is a refusal um, to submit to what the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus, Right? Everything Jesus did has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, all of his miracles, all of his teaching, all of his obedience, his death, his resurrection, everything empowered by the Spirit. So the Spirit is testifying this. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Submit to him. That's what the Spirit is testifying about Jesus. Jesus says if you spend your entire life and die in rejection of that and die in denial of that, that cannot be forgiven. And that makes sense because there's no salvation outside of the good news of Jesus. So if you reject it and reject it and reject it, you're done. There's no salvation outside of Christ. So that's what it means to blaspheme the Spirit. So what Jesus is saying is for the disciple, whenever you mess up, whenever you rebel, there's forgiveness. But for the hypocrite who constantly rejects me and won't actually submit to me, we're going to have problems. If they die in that state, that is. There's no salvation outside of full submission to the Lord Jesus. Right, the lordship of Christ, everything. Know this, and I've talked about it before, I'm not going to harp on it for forever. Savior always equals Lord. Right? You can't have a Savior if he's not your Lord. They go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. You must have both or you get neither. Right? But for those who submit, Jesus promises us more comfort and grace. He tells us the Holy Spirit will be there. Right? In these times of trial, whenever life gets hard and we want to deny Jesus, or people start looking at us strange and we want to deny him, that the Holy Spirit will comfort us, that we will, he, will, he will give us wisdom, that he's going to show us what we need to do. He's going to empower us to be faithful, empower us to proclaim Christ with our lives. And believers can rely on the Spirit to push them through whatever fear or anxiety or cowardice that they might have and push them into obedience. And because the Spirit is working in us and through us, we can stay faithful until the end. Right? Until we stand before God and have Jesus as our advocate. That's what he promises us. And so, so what I want us to do is I want us to, to really consider the words of Jesus in this. 
I want us to really consider his words. And I, and I, want, us, I want to ask this. Are we, in light of what he said, are we going to stand faithful and, and stand true and stand fearless in the faith because we have an eye on eternity and a heart set on God because we've actually been transformed by the love of God that he showed us that we didn't even deserve? Um, are we going to prove to be nothing but liars and actors? Which one is it going to be? Um, that's a hard question. You're like, I, I want to punk out of stuff. I want to be afraid. Every single time that I tell someone that I don't know the gospel, I'm terrified. I don't know what they're going to say. And every time that we go to do a service thing in the East End, I'm nervous about what happened. I don't, I, what's going to happen. I don't know what's going down. I don't know the future. But what Jesus is saying here, what we can know is no matter what happens, come whatever may, right? Come hell or high water, whatever. Hell won't touch us because we're friends of God. That's why we don't have to be afraid of anything. That's why we should boldly go be obedient to Jesus. This life is short and finite, and it doesn't matter. Eternity is matter, what matters. And it will all be over sooner than we know. Right, so I hope that, that those of you who haven't truly submitted to Jesus, right, who haven't maybe ever submitted to Jesus, I, I, pray, I pray for you guys all the time that you will respond with repentance. And if you want someone to explain any of this more to you, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, any of this stuff, how to live in obedience, you know, have you been a hypocrite? Or you just want someone to pray with you that, that God would help you to not become this. We're gonna have some people over here while we play music that wanna pray with you. Come see anyone that's been or will be on this stage. We wanna talk to you. We wanna pray with you about this. We want you to come to know the love of God found in Christ. Um, and, and not just people that aren't Christians either. Um, you know, I, I hope that those of us who have been cowards and deniers in our lives and in our actions, I, I hope that we would begin to daily submit our lives to Jesus and his commands and prove ourselves to be true. Um, but what I'd also like us to do is, is stake our claim in the, in the comfort that the Lord Jesus gives us here. Right? Know this. He sees us. He loves us. He knows us. He cares for us. And he rewards his people. And like I said earlier, because of that, we're untouchable. God will not let a hair on our head perish in hell ever because of Jesus' perfection and God's namesake that he promised that he wouldn't let anything happen to us in eternity. Stake your claim to that and be fearless, right? And where we fail, be fearless because there's always grace there for us. If we would just look to the cross again and resubmit our lives. So don't live in fear of hell either, because that's not for you if you're actually a believer. Resubmit yourself to Christ. The mercy of God found in Christ is our comfort. So go. Keep persevering on. Persevere in obedience, in personal holiness, in public proclamation of Christ with everything that you do. God's got you. He calls you friend, even in your weaknesses. So don't fear men. Don't fear failure. Stand in awe of God and his mercy and live with gratitude in your hearts for the love that he's given you that you didn't deserve. Let's pray. Father, you're, you're better to us than we could ever, ever ask for. Um, thank you for forgiving hypocrites like me every single day. Um, God, I, I pray that we would, we would leave out of here um, with a resolve 
to actually live our faith out and prove that it's true. Um, To not be hypocrites. To actually stand obedient and stand defiant in the face of a world that says that this can't be true or that we're foolish or that our morality is dated. To stand defiant against that and say, no, I know the one true king. I know the one who's in charge and this is what he says and this is what I'm going to do in response to that. Father, I pray that we live our faith out publicly and privately so that people would see you in us and you would be glorified. Father, help us to quit being fakes. Help us to quit being obsessed with scripture just for the sake of scripture and doctrine for the sake of doctrine, but that we would actually live our faith out. Father, beat us into submission by your Holy Spirit. Remind us of the cross. Remind us of what you've done for us. We got above everything, thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place so that we can come to you like this, so that we can worship you, and so that the Holy Spirit works in us now so that we can be everything that you want us to be. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.